Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 13. Pilate then called together the chief priest and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people, and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. We are in a new series today called The Journey. Uh, This week we're going to be looking at the journey to the cross. Next week we're going to be looking at the journey from the cross. We're going to look at the actual story, but then also the implications for our lives uh, as well. Um, The cross is the central kind of figure of our flourishing uh, in that. Uh, But to start, I'd like to to tell a story to you, and, and I'd like to preface this story by saying Uh, that I have asked Megan for approval to tell uh, most of the story. (laughs) So, uh, let's be honest. Uh, Megan had a bit of a rough uh, stint in her driving career a few years ago. Uh, You know, we all go through those times. Uh, Sometimes, um, and you know, we can always blame it on the kids. It was their fault. Uh, But, so Megan is driving over to a friend's uh, house for a play date. And on her way there, she gets into her friend's neighborhood, and uh, something happens, and somewhere or another, she becomes aware that she has clipped a mailbox with her mirror, and the mailbox has uh, been strewn into the street. So the mailbox is no longer attached, and uh, so she stops, and in a moment of sheer panic, she calls her friend Zoe. (laughs) And she says, Zoe, what should I do? And this is classic. Her friend says, what do you want to do? And you and I know like what you want to do. You just want to keep driving, act like it never happened. But she does the next best thing. She stops. I think she maybe puts it back on. And then she goes up to knock on the door. And uh, they don't answer. She goes back to the car, gets something to write with, and writes uh, you know, a little note that says, hey, sorry, I'll pay for this. But the only piece of paper that she has in the car is my church business card. <laughs> so she puts that in the door and says, hey, we'll fix it. Needless to say, we never got a call back, but a hilarious story came out of it. So, um, you know, there's always uh, within us a battle of the flesh and the Spirit. And our, our flesh wants to conceal sin, but the Spirit of God wants to reveal sin in us uh, and point us to Jesus, who is our living hope. And just like Zoe asked Megan a question when she called her, uh, what do you want? The reality for all of us is this right here. We always get what we want. We are never coerced against our will to do anything. We always act according to our nature. You lied because you wanted to. You told the truth because you wanted to. You acted out of your nature. 
And as we're looking at the story of Pilate and Barabbas today, I have to be honest with you that it's really easy for me to look down my nose at the bad guys of the Bible. You know what I mean? The bad guys like, um, like uh, Cain, uh, like uh, Saul, um, Judas, he's a good one, right? We, we look down our Barabbas, Pilate, we look down our nose at these guys and we're like, how could they do this? I would never do anything like that. We are confronted uh, with choices every day on which God we will serve, as Megan alluded to in our prayer time. But what I discover about the God of the Bible is this. We are all incredibly free creatures and able to behave according to our nature. The struggle that we have with sin is deeper than the action of sin. You lied? Well, there's something below the lie that you wanted to conceal. There's something deeper in your nature that you're at war with. And, and we all need to be given a new heart by, by the Holy Spirit himself, as Ezekiel 33 prophesies. We need new hearts that can worship Jesus. Because out of the gate, we are so fatally flawed, we cannot worship Jesus. We're only free to sin. Uh, and the gift of the Holy Spirit changes that nature within us through faith. And so here, if, if you don't hear anything else today, here's what I want you to hear. Jesus came to set you free through faith not works. And I want your heart to be overwhelmed and arrested by that reality today, that Jesus came to set the captives free as Isaiah 61 prophesies, and Jesus again reiterates that in his ministry. Because Jesus makes us new. And he's how we experience uh, freedom. Now, when I first heard this story about Pilate and Barabbas, you know, like I said earlier, I was kind of like, Man, Pilate, how could you do this, man? I mean, could you have a backbone? Because over and over and over again, Pilate is talking about how, you know, Jesus is innocent. But for us to focus on, for us to put ourselves in those shoes and say, like, I would never do that. I would never do what the crowd did. It's to totally miss the point of the passage that we're looking at today. It's to totally miss it. Uh, this passage is more than just a descriptive narrative about the events of Jesus' life and his journey to our, uh, the activities that led to our redemption, it's more than that. It reveals prescriptive undertones for us that we, uh, that we pick up on and, and lead us to faith in Jesus. So in order to communicate this, what I want to do today is I want to focus on two tensions that we see in this passage. Uh, the first tension is this. The cross is something that has to be done for us. The cross is something that has to be done for us. So what do I mean by that? A perfect yet innocent man had to die in the place of guilty sinners for salvation to be possible for anyone. That had to happen. You know, C.S. Lewis uh, developed this trilemma that a lot of you are familiar with where he, where he says, it was an apologetics argument, so to, to, to a defense of the faith, where he says... Um, you know, when, you, when you're confronted by the claims of Jesus, uh, you have three options. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. Those are your responses to the claims of Jesus. So either uh, you think that Jesus is just flat out lying about his claims to be God, and that the, the uh, witnesses to the resurrection and the ascension and all that, it was all just made up. Or you're a lunatic, or he's a lunatic, meaning that he's just out of his mind. Like that he can't be trusted. Or he's Lord. And, and I, I would say this, uh, because, um, because Jesus claims to die 
for, for the sins of the world. Um, and what I mean by that uh, is that, that His death is sufficient for all the sins of the world. Now, it's only efficient for those who believe. What I mean in the Scriptures, John, John, uh, 1 John 2, 2 says this, uh, He is the propitiation um, for our sins, and not for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. So what that means is, is that, that, that He paid the price for the sins of the whole world. Now, it's only efficient, it's only, it's only activated for those who believe, uh, or else we'd be universalist. But what He's saying is that Jesus came for the sins of the world. And so, you and I, each and every person in this room, and every person in the world is confronted with the reality. Jesus claims that He died for you. What are you going to do with that? What, what, how are you, how do you respond to those truths. That cross was not just for him or for people that claim to be Christians. That, that cross, Jesus says that, that cross can be for you. Now what are you going to do with those realities? So that's the first tension we're going to look at. The second tension is this, and we'll spend less time on this, but the cross is also something that's done to us. So for the Christian, the cross is an instrument of our sanctification. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well. So let's dig into that first tension here. That the cross is something that has to be done for us. Let's, let's uh, kind of get back into Luke 23 here. Uh, and I want to look at verse 15 here. Uh, the first point uh, under this first tension is this, is that Jesus is completely innocent. Jesus is completely innocent. So verse 15 uh, says this. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Pilate is making the claim to the crowd. Nothing deserving death has been done by him. And, and, I, and I'll throw this out, this tidbit as well. We read this, but... Uh, so Jesus underwent two trials. He went through more of a religious Jewish trial, but he also went through a Roman trial. So he was put, put on trial you know, over and over again through this two-day period. And so he had already been through the Jewish trial with the Sanhedrin... Uh, and the chief priests and all that kind of stuff. And now he had gotten to, it had escalated to the point where he was under the Roman trial. So first, he's presented before Pilate. Pilate's like, man, I don't want this guy's blood on my, uh, on my hands. So uh, I'm going to send him up the, the, uh, the, the food ladder a bit to Herod, uh, the, the food chain a bit to Herod. And Herod says, look, this guy's innocent. So he sends him back to Pilate. Nobody really wants to, nobody really wants to sign on the dotted line for Jesus' crucifixion. Nobody really wants to do it. But nevertheless, it's done. So then Pilate reminds the crowd of this reality that every year during the Passover feast, there's kind of this mockery of justice that Pilate does. And he releases one of the prisoners. So a, 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 very, a guilty person. The Scriptures say that, that uh, Barabbas was a notorious criminal. Guilty of insurrection. Guilty of murder. He's a criminal. And so he, he brings two extremes up onto the stage. It says, which one do you want, crowd? And we're going to get more into that in just a second. But Jesus is completely innocent. Pilate goes on in verse 20. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. Verse 23. Why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. It is clear that both Pilate and Herod truly believe that Jesus was innocent of the claims that the, the Jewish leaders brought against him. They can't find any grounds to crucify him on. Yet, the crowd, who is, I'll remind you, Jewish, this is in Jerusalem, says, crucify him, 
crucify him. So first point, uh, Jesus completely innocent. Second point, uh, Barabbas is completely guilty. So in Matthew's Gospel, as I said earlier, Barabbas is a, is a notorious prisoner. I mean, you have like two extremes up on the stage. And uh, um, so Barabbas, some random guy, right? Now, you know there's always more than meets the eye when you read the Scriptures, right? There's always stuff underneath this where the, every, God is just working all of these things that we need to pay more attention to. Barabbas, for instance. This guy's first name, what a weird name. No, not his first name. This, was his, this has been more of his, his last name. Barabbas means bar, meaning son of. Abba, meaning father. Son, so get this, son of the father. Barabbas. Little f, right? Son of the father, Jesus, big f. Now, this, this goes even deeper than this. If, if that doesn't kind of blow your mind about the things that are going on under the surface here and the picture that the Scriptures paint for us about our guilt and Jesus' innocence, this guy has a first name. Now, in the earliest manuscripts, and you can look this up, feel free to do it, this guy has a name, a first name, and it's listed in the Scriptures. But somewhere around three or 400, it was removed from some of the manuscripts somehow. We're not really sure um, I think it was to maybe, um, uh, maybe get rid of some of the confusion that was at play. But this guy's name is actually Jesus. This guy's name is Jesus Barabbas. So you've got Jesus Barabbas and Jesus of Nazareth up on the stage. Pilate is asking the crowd, which one do you want me to crucify and which one do you want me to let go free? Which Jesus do you want, crowd? Which one do you want? My friend Daryl Ford, when he's talking about this passage, says this, Your name doesn't just tell people who you are. It tells people whose you are. So we've got, really got this picture of the flesh with Jesus Barabbas. You've got this picture of the Spirit with Jesus of Nazareth here, this perfect, innocent man. So it seems like the Bible means for us to identify both with Jesus and Barabbas as he is up on that platform in front of the crowd and a crucifixion is going to happen and we don't know who it's going to be. He wants us to identify with, with Jesus uh, of Nazareth in this way, that by identifying with him through being united with him by faith, his death, get this, is our death. His condemning of sin is our condemning of sin. Now, what about Barabbas? We identify Bar with Barabbas in this way. Uh, we are sinners, criminals, who have broken God's law, guilty as charged, deserving death for our rebellion against our Creator and the ruler of the universe. But here's the hope. Here's the hope. Jesus, through grace and compassion of the cross, takes our place and deals with the sin that we are utterly guilty of. It's this crazy paradox that you see, and Luke really wants us to see the difference and to identify with both of the characters that are up on this platform. And, 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 and as, the, as we think about ourselves in place of that crowd, what, would, what, what phrases would we utter? Who would we choose? It's a picture, friends, of why God has to come and change us. Because in our flesh all day long, we will say, crucify Him, crucify Him. Him, crucify Him. Because He's, as Megan said earlier, not the Savior that we expected when we, we said we desired peace. 
Because his way of peace is a lot different than our way and path of peace. And because of this, we are all kind of a walking paradox. So let's keep moving in this. Um, let, let's, let's bring it to an application point for us. In my flesh, number three, I am completely guilty. In my flesh, I am completely guilty of the sin. Uh, I'm completely guilty of all sin. And, and Jesus, here's the reality though, Jesus came for criminals, and I'm the worst one, as Paul said. I'm the worst of sinners. If you noticed in the life of the Apostle Paul, at the beginning of his life, when he describes himself, he says, hey, look, I am the least of the apostles. And then as time goes on and on and on, toward the end of his life, he says, I'm the worst of sinners. Because you know what the path of sanctification looks like for you? You become more and more aware of your sin the longer that you walk with Jesus. And at first, you're kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I mean, I got some stuff I need to deal with. But, you know, other than that, I mean, I'm a pretty good guy. But the longer you walk with him, you, you begin to see, kind of the worst of criminals. That's what it looks like to grow in, in grace. So think about this. This criminal metaphor goes even further in Luke chapter 23. Um, we're going to look at the last conversation that Jesus has. Very last one. It has to do with criminals. I think, I think we're, God is continuing to paint this picture for us here. And uh, so Jesus, he's followed the, the, the Via Della Rosa all around Jerusalem, carrying his cross. He can't carry it all the way, so Simon comes and helps. Twist and turn through the city streets of Jerusalem. And they make it out to Golgotha, where he'll be crucified. And then he is hoisted up on the cross. Uh, but he's in between two criminals. This is a criminal crucifixion. There's a rose between two thorns, right? I mean, Jesus is on the cross. There's two criminals around him. Here's the conversation that takes place. I find this very interesting. Luke uh, chapter 23, verses 39 through 42. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Come on, man. Act like what you, who you say you are. Prove yourself. But the other guy on the cross, on the other side, says, and they're cross-talking. Okay, Jesus is caught in the middle. He says this, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? So Jesus is in the middle. These guys are kind of having a conversation. He's in the middle of it. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. So this guy on the cross, there's, 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 there's you know, these, these guys on the cross, there's a thief on the cross, I don't know what the other guy did. Uh, they're both criminals. One of the guys seems to be defending Jesus and, and saying, man, this guy's innocent. The other guy on the cross seems to be mocking Jesus and, and saying, hey, why aren't you saving yourself? Prove yourself. He's just kind of taking it to the grave with him. Uh, so he says this, the, the guy that's defending Jesus says this, this man has done nothing wrong. And then he looks to Jesus, who's caught in the middle of the crossfire, and he says something beautiful. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, he hasn't responded to anything yet on the cross, but he responds to this and he says, Truly I say to you, today, You'll be with me in paradise. Today I will remember you and you will be with me in paradise. Everything will be made whole. And, and, and the, the grace of the, of the thief on the cross uh, should blow our minds about how gracious 
Jesus actually is. I mean, can the thief on the cross, I mean, 99.99999% of this guy's life is always and only sinful, right? I mean, this guy is an utter criminal. He's being crucified for it. He's so bad. And yet in the 11th hour, he just takes up for Jesus and he says, Jesus, I know this is like a shot in the dark, but would you remember me in your kingdom? And Jesus says, not only will I remember you, but you will be with me in my kingdom. So I don't, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know how aware you are of your guilt of sin and criminal status. I don't know if, uh, I don't know if you've been released and set free by Jesus or if you're still a criminal out on the run and there's a bolo out for you. I don't know where you're at with that. Um, but I do know this. There is hope no matter where you're at. That, that if you will come to Jesus, He will remember you in His kingdom and He will give you His kingdom. Not only will He remember you in, the, in His kingdom, he will, he will give it to you. You'll be present with Him in His kingdom. And we, we, we come to this reality where we see the cross and, and we're reminded that, that just like those two thieves that were on crosses with Jesus, that we deserve that cross. Each and every one of you, myself included, we deserve the cross. That's what sin deserves, is, is the wrath of God to be poured out on our souls. And Jesus, as gracious as He is, He's like a lamb being led to the slaughter. Silent before its shears. He, he comes out, and he, he takes it for us. He endures the pain and the agony. So do you feel like an imposter this morning? I mean, do you, do you, do you feel like, man, you're just, you're just always faking it? Like, like you've never really experienced this life that God promises you? Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I, I want to give you rest. Like, I don't want to give you more work. He didn't say to the thief on the cross, hey, bro, hop down off the cross and go show me something. Show me some proof that you have faith. He didn't say that to him. But instead, he gave him his father's inheritance, the kingdom. He gave it all to him. The ring, the robe, the whole nine yards. He killed the fattened calf. They threw a party. Even though this guy is going to be crucified, he's with Jesus in his kingdom. And because of our sin, you and I are criminals on the run. Fourthly, in his spirit, I am completely innocent. As, as Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so has your transgression been removed. Do you believe that this morning, church? Because the, the, the ditch that we jump in a lot of times is we try to convince ourselves and others that we're really not that bad. We don't have to do that, church, because when we try to shrink our sin, we shrink the cross in our hearts. We can be fully present with the idea that we are utterly depraved people and that Jesus is far better than we could ever imagine. That's what it means to live in grace. And when we are honest about our condition before our Father and before the world, it is a loving invitation to the world to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. That's why every week in here we have confession. And, you know, sometimes I'm like really kind of just going through the motions, maybe like some of you, and other times I'm really confronted by the reality that I'm getting ready to preach to a bunch of people and I haven't repented of that sin. 
And so we, we have that rhythm in our lives so that we can be confronted with the reality that, an in, that our sin was so devastating that an innocent man, guilty of no crimes, had to get on a cross and be slain so that I could experience life, a life of favor with my Father in heaven through faith. Romans 8.1 says this, For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not one piece of evidence exists for your guilt of sin in the courtroom. The verdict is in, and all of the exhibits have been thrown out. That's what grace is. It's all been thrown out because there's no condemnation because of the cross that Jesus bore for us. It's this beautiful picture for us. A lot of times we live like this. I'm innocent until proven guilty, right? We kind of we take that road. I would say the more accurate picture is this. I'm guilty until proven innocent. Like that's the status of every person in this room and every person in the world. We are all guilty until proven innocent. And if we believe anything else, we make a mockery like that thief on the cross did of Jesus' death. We're all guilty until proven innocent. But when we come to Jesus, He receives us and we get the Gospel. We get off scot-free. Nothing to prove, nothing to show for it. All of grace. And that, that is confrontational. Like if, if grace doesn't make us kind of stop and say, What? I mean, you, like, the guy on the, like the guy that just said, hey, remember me? And he, he couldn't even get the sinner's prayer out. You know what I mean? If he'll be in the kingdom, and yet we live these lives of condemnation because we don't have, any, we don't have the amount of righteousness that we think we need to show to prove ourselves before God and others. Or we look down our nose at others that, that have this horrible past, and all of a sudden they meet Jesus. And we think, yeah, I wonder if they're really saved. You know what I'm talking about. Yet we have this guy who says, remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus says, I got something better for you. Today you'll be with me in paradise. So it was a Sunday night, uh, probably seven years ago. I was uh, finishing up uh, a master's degree at a school in Virginia. And I have, uh, <laughs> I have a student, I was a youth pastor before this, I have a student in the, in the car with me. We're driving from Indiana to Virginia after I've preached two sermons on this Sunday. Uh, and it's like a 10-hour drive or something. It's, it's really far. And so, you know, we had run through all the playlists that we had set up on our iPod, and we were just getting bored. And so we're driving, and, and I'm like just eager to get there. I mean, the GPS says, you know, like two hours left or whatever, and you're like, I wonder if I can bump the cruise control up a few more miles an hour. You know what I'm talking about. I want to get there. I, I've got tunnel vision. And so we're cruising, and then, uh, you know, I, all of a sudden I see the blue lights in the rear view, Okay. And uh, I'm like, oh, this is just what I need tonight, right? I got class at 8 o'clock in the morning. It's, you know, like after 10 o'clock, I'm still not uh, here. And so I pull over um, on the interstate, and the cop, uh, the law enforcement officer, gets out of the, the, uh, the car, and he says, uh, he says, oh, you're in a hurry, huh? And I was like, yeah. He goes, yeah, I've been following you for about 30 minutes. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. Uh, He said, yeah, you know, you went through the construction zone, and uh, you saw me sitting in the median, so you hit your brakes. 
Uh, and he's like, I appreciated that, you know. Uh, but then as soon as you passed me, you went straight back up to 20 miles over the speed limit. And uh, he, says, so, he says, I followed you, you know. Then you, then you got over in front of a, a, a couple cars. Uh, you didn't use your turn signal uh, for any of those turns. Um, and then, you know, another one of my, my partners, I was following you. One of my partners was on down the road. He flashed his lights at you. And you, 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 hit, you pumped the brakes, and you just kept going. And, uh, and, uh, and then I kind of uh, threw out uh, a prayer to the officer. I mean, he is listing me like all of the, I mean, he's running down the I'm thinking, I'm going to jail. This guy's going to have to call his mom, who's a senior in high school. This is not going to look good. I'm going to lose my job. It's going to be bad. And I said, I threw out a prayer. I said, hey, I'm, uh, I'm headed to Bible college uh, tonight. <laughs> I, just got, I, you know, I just got off uh, work at the church that I work at, uh, and we've been driving all through the day, and something amazing happened. The officer says, oh, really? I just left my church this morning. I'm thinking, okay, okay. And uh, he sees my guitar in the back of the car, and he says, oh, you play guitar. Uh, and, uh, and he says, uh, he says, what kind is it? I said, oh, it's a Taylor. And uh, he goes, oh, okay, I play a Martin. I was like, oh, you must be a bluegrass guy. He's like, actually, I am. And so we start having this conversation that lasts literally over 20 minutes on the side of the interstate. And we're talking about music. And, and anyway, the, the conversation ends up like this. The police officer, I'm not kidding you, literally apologizes to me for keeping me so long. He says, you know, he says, don't worry about it. He goes, I do want to tell you about a shortcut on how to get to school quicker, though. If you take this exit and you take these turns, you'll get there a little quicker because of all the construction. It was like this moment of like, God, you have got to be kidding me. Like, ridiculous grace. I was completely guilty. The laundry list was against me. And this guy shows me grace. This is what Jesus does for us on a whole nother scale. So what I want you to hear from that first point is this. We are completely guilty, yet 100% innocent in Jesus. Apart from Jesus, we are not yet there. So if you're in here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, you have to consider that. Now, if you, if you do, by faith, through grace, believe in Jesus, I have a second point I want to make to you, and it's this. The cross is also something that has to be done to us. <clears throat> so maybe you're sitting here thinking, hey, what, what are you talking about? Like, I, I wouldn't be screaming, crucify him. You know, that, that's really not me. I, I, would, I would argue that we really make this decision every single day. And we choose to walk in the flesh or the spirit. Romans 8 breaks this down really clear for us. So, so Pilate gives the crowd a choice between flesh Jesus and spirit Jesus. And we make that decision every day. And Paul describes it in Romans chapter 7 as this battle that wages war within us. It's the part where we read it and it's really hard to read those verses because he says, you know, the things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things that I, that, that I see what I'm talking about? Uh, the things that I do do, I don't want to do. And we, we kind of get caught in between this web of the, the battle between the flesh and the spirit taking dominion in our hearts. Well, that battle exists in us every day. So although Jesus has stood in your place, and we have, as Barabbas, have walked away scot-free, Barabbas, there's still a little Barabbas alive in each of us. There's still a little Barabbas alive in each in every one of us, and often our flesh screams out, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Listen to what, how Paul describes this in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It's a past tense thing, right? I've been crucified with Christ. And he says, then he kind of moves on to the present tense. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, because we're living this, this life, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Now he goes on in Galatians 5.24 to say this, those who belong to Christ have crucified its flesh. Crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. So although we embrace the work of Jesus on our behalf, the cross is now an instrument of love from the Father to us to make us more like Jesus. So He strips us clean. He exposes us just like Jesus was exposed on that cross. And this is the most loving thing that our Heavenly Father could ever do to us. Remember, the flesh conceals sin, but the Spirit reveals sin. And He wants to do that over and over and over in our hearts. So as Pilate releases Barabbas the guilty and delivers over to death Jesus the innocent, we have a picture of our own release affected by the cross through faith. When Barabbas walked away, we walked away. We walked away. But we also needed Jesus to endure the pain of the cross so that we can truly walk away. So let me, let me close by just asking this question to you. In your war battle for the holiness of your heart, the life of Jesus being manifested in your life and in your heart, what, who do you really want to let live today? Do you want to let flesh Jesus, Barabbas live? Or do you want to let spirit Jesus live in you? And maybe you're confronted by that reality today. Maybe something is readily apparent in your heart right now that really needs to be put to death. C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory said this, a rejection, or in the Scripture's strong language, a crucifixion of the natural self is the passport to everlasting life. We the cross isn't something that's just done for us. It's something that's done to us. Nothing that has not died will be resurrected. Think about that this Easter week. Nothing that has not died will be resurrected. You can't do this life alone. You need God's Spirit to come and bring you to life. And He doesn't just pour out His Spirit on us once. He does that for our justification. But for our sanctification as we're made more like Jesus, he continues pouring His Spirit out. When you read the book of Acts, the Spirit is poured out upon people. And it's poured out over and over again. And Jesus, He gives us more manifestations of His Spirit lots of times in our lives. And sometimes it's when we're most aware of our sin, I would argue. And that's the most beautiful thing that God could do for us. So just like this crowd, you and I are tempted to choose our own version of Jesus instead of the one who actually gave us life. So our response is twofold. If you're in here and you have not embraced the claims of Jesus, that cross is it's staring us all in the eyes. And that cross is either, either something that we've we got to decide what we're going to do with it. Either we embrace it and it becomes our cross, or we turn Jesus into a mockery. And we continue on with our self-improvement progress process hoping that it will be good enough, and it never will. But Jesus has come to me 
All who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. That is the heart of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for thank you for the cross. It seemed to be the centerpiece of the apostles' ministry after Jesus ascended into heaven. And it's because it's so confrontational. Lord, I pray that you are stirring the hearts of my friends in this room just like you've stirred my heart. To consider the claims of the cross that an innocent man had to be slain so that I could have hope and redemption could be possible. Father, I pray for the first time, maybe, maybe some in this room would surrender their lives to say, I need Jesus to stand in place of that cross for me. I need Jesus to take that cross. Because he is so willing, he's so eager. For those of my friends that are on this pathway with you, Father, may we endure the cross that you put on us with joy. Knowing that your deep desire is to make us like your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.